Witness protection can't erase his past. This is Nailgun Messiah, the first book in the Micah Reed series. One novel, read to you a chapter at a time. Join us each week for a new installment of the story and get the book at jimheskett.com forward slash nailgun podcast. And now, the host and author, Jim Heskett. Oh my god, you guys, this is it. The final two episodes in the Nailgun Messiah podcast. This is what we've been waiting for. Now, uh, um, welcome to the show, right? I should say that. Now, let me tell you how these last two episodes are going to go. Today, we're going to be reading the final chapter of the book and the epilogue. And then tomorrow, hopefully the final episode will come out tomorrow, you know, God willing, and if the internet doesn't explode before then. There's going to be another reading, and you may be asking yourself, well, if this is the last part, the last chapter in the epilogue of the book, what is there left to read? And the answer is you're going to have to wait until tomorrow to find out. There's a very, very special episode, just like they used to do on Family Ties. It's a very special episode um, that's going to be coming out tomorrow with a very special reading, and I'm excited for you guys to, to be there for it. I'm excited for you guys to see it. Or actually, you won't see anything because it's all through your ear holes. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. But so today, last chapter and epilogue tomorrow, super secret special episode with super secret special reading. It's pretty exciting, huh? Anyway, um, before we get into all the rest of the blah, 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 I just want to say thanks for coming on this journey with me, guys. It's been really great reading my book to you, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed some of the behind-the-scenes stuff about the writing process and about um, the series and about me. hope you've enjoyed hearing stories about my dog and my cat. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed all that. And um, if you know if you like the show and you want to see more stuff like this, you know, reach out to me. Go to jimheskett.com and sign up for my email list, and that gives you a good way to, to stay in touch with me. Anyway, so there's, there's a little story I've been promising you guys for a long time, and it's not a long story, but just to talk about how the genesis of the Micah Reed character came about. And the story goes a little something like this. Want to hear it? Here it go. What you probably don't know is that Micah Reed um, originally began his life as the name of a character in a screenplay that I wrote. Before I ever wrote or before I ever published fiction, I wrote a few screenplays and I, I wanted to be a Hollywood hustler back in those days until I realized that it's almost impossible to get anything made in Hollywood and I didn't want to move to Los Angeles. I wanted to stay here in Denver. And so I, I, I gave up that um, screenplay writing uh, idea and switched over to writing fiction. And I had written a screenplay called Airbag Scars that featured a character named Micah and a character named Hayden. And the plot of the screenplay version of Airbag Scars was this. It was about a, a young man named Micah who is trying to get sober. And it's about him putting his life back together. And also about a young woman named Hayden who her life falls apart. And then it was about how their stories intersected and how they affected each other's lives. And to be honest, it was kind of boring. I mean, I think it was an okay screenplay. I entered it into some screenplay competitions and it advanced into, you know, semis or finals rounds, but I never won anything and I never got anyone in Hollywood interested in it, obviously. Um, but so I, later on, 
uh, you know, I threw that screenplay in the drawer for a while, and later on when I started writing fiction, I liked the idea of the person putting his life back together um, juxtaposed with the idea of someone else's life falling apart. And I liked the names Micah and Hayden, and so I wrote a book called Airbag Scars that sort of uses that the, the main thing the book Airbag Scars has in common with the screenplay Airbag Scars is that the names of the characters are Micah and Hayden. I mean, most everything else has changed. It's not really a story about how their lives intersect while, you know, one is on an upward path and the other's on a downward path, although there are elements of that. But what I took from it was, so round about this time, I was, I was finishing up my whistleblower trilogy um, and I wanted to write a series. I wanted to, I wanted to write a series because every author who, you know, who goes on success or not every author, but almost all authors who become successful do so by writing a series and coming up with a great series character because, you know, you guys are listening to the show or readers and you know that you don't really care so much about authors. You care about the characters they create. Um, or, you know, I mean, you're entirely entitled to disagree with that opinion, but that's, that's my opinion that, that readers care about characters. And so I wanted to make, I had lots of ideas for plots, but I wanted to make a great character. And I talked before about the origin of this book, Nailgun Messiah, how I'd originally plotted it out, but I just didn't love it. And then later after I created Micah Reed, I inserted, I replaced the, the old protagonist in Nailgun Messiah with Micah and re-outlined the story. And then I was able to, to get excited about it because with, with Micah as the main character, the story felt alive. It felt like it had motion and had somewhere to go. But before that, I had to create Micah. And so it, Micah came about like this. I wanted to write a series character, and but I was tired of books where the main character is an ex-cop or an ex-detective or a private investigator or an ex-Navy SEAL. And, and a lot of these like thriller series, they're almost always that. They're almost always either a cop, a Navy SEAL, a detective, or an ex-cop, ex-Navy SEAL, ex-detective. So I really didn't want to write a series with that kind of hero. I wanted to write a series about someone who was closer to normal, closer to an average Joe, but who still went on to have amazing adventures. But the problem is, is that average Joes are boring, so I wanted to have someone who maybe wasn't an average Joe, but wanted to be an average Joe, and that's that was sort of an interesting concept to me, and I thought about, you know, someone who maybe had a checkered past, someone who had done bad things, and was trying to atone for those bad things, and that's sort of where the idea came from. And then, so I took that and I mixed it with the concept of the Mike character from the screenplay version of Airbag Scars about someone who was trying to get sober and do the right thing. So I I came up with this character and his original name, but well before he had any before he was named Micah, I had, I had named him Remorseful Hitman, was how I referred to him in my notes. And the idea was that he had been a bad guy, and he was now getting sober, and then the book series would be about him trying to do right now that he's sober and you know this this the progression of the books would follow him as he stayed sober and he struggled to stay sober and he interacted with people from his past that he was trying to atone for the things that he'd done and you know it's like he's trying to he's a good he's a former bad guy now a good guy trying to do right but his past keeps coming back to haunt him 
And then later I came up with the the concept of him being in witness protection because I thought that added a really nice level of internal personal conflict to it because you know you've you've seen a little bit of of Micah's um sobriety struggle in in the Nailgun Messiah book and you see even a lot more of it in Airbag Scars because in that book which isn't for sale which you can only get by um entering your email on the homepage at jimheskett.com and that book starts with Micah's last drink and then it, it chronicles um, some adventures he has in the first couple months that he's trying to stay sober. And so there's a lot more about Micah's early sobriety struggles in that book. But so uh, witness protection, that's what I was talking about. So the the thing is, uh, sobriety is all about honesty. Um, in the, the AA recovery program, it, it very much preaches that in order to get sober, you need to be honest with other people and with yourself, especially about your motives. You know, it's about you don't lie to yourself and try to convince yourself that you're not someone who you're not. You accept who you are. You stay honest with yourself, and that's how you're able to basically function as a normal human being. And so I really like this idea about someone trying to be live a sober life, live an honest life, meanwhile having to live under a fake name because he was in witness protection. So there was like this inherent conflict in the fact that Anytime he tells someone his name, he's essentially lying because he's his his tells people his name is Micah Reed and he has to do that in order to protect his family, but his name is actually Michael McBriar, so he has to live this life of anonymity, so that's a serious source of inner conflict for him. And him being in witness protection opened up all these other doors because it would allow me to so what I really wanted to do, and this is a little sidebar here, my whistleblower trilogy is three books soon to be four books, and I'll talk about that on some other avenue at some point in the future. It was three books that, that told a singular story. It's like one big story told in three separate volumes. But what I wanted to do with the Micah Reed books was I wanted to have stories that were standalone. You know, like Nailgun Messiah is a complete story, and you could read just that book and be fine. You don't have to read the other books in the Micah Reed series, even though I, of course, would like people to. But I could tell these standalone stories. The plots of the Micah Reed books are all standalones, but the, the Micah Reed story, the whole arc, is one big overall thing that's going to take place over the course of many, many books. And so, back to what I was saying before, the, the, the logic in making him in witness protection was that I could also then dole out details about his past at a very small clip, and you just get bits and pieces of who Micah used to be in each book. Like in Nelgan Messiah, there's very little about it. You know, you've learned a little bit about his sister Magda and about how he treated her before he got sober and before he was a member of the Sinaloa cartel. You And you only learn very little bits and pieces about the Sinaloa cartel. And there's um, mention of Micah's friend in the cartel who died. And you're going to you find out more about him in the next book, in the book after that. And then in book four, you actually meet the friend because it flashes back to his time in the cartel. So the witness protection gave me a really great avenue to to reveal details about Micah's past a little bit at a time. And there's still much to reveal. I'm planning things for Micah Reed books far in the future that will include little bits and pieces of his past. And that's really exciting. I think that it gives you a reason to want to read all the books in the series because once you, after you read one of the books and you decide, hey, I like this Micah character, I want to know more about him, then it encourages you to want to read on to find out more details. Anyway, that's, that's the, I think I've been promising you guys this story for a long, long time, you know, the origins of Micah Reed, and there you are, I hope you're happy. Anyway, 
Um, so I've rambled a whole lot. This is going to make this episode probably the longest episode in the history of the Nailgun Messiah podcast. Uh, but that's okay because we're almost done here. So I think you guys can probably tolerate a little bit longer episode, you know. Just when you're out walking your dog this morning, just, you know, take Fido or an extra lap around the block cause, and listen to the show because, you know, Fido will appreciate it and uh, your heart appreciates it and your your Fitbit will like that you've given it more steps today. So, you know, hey, uh, the longer episode, it benefits everybody. Anyway, so let's, let's um, quit all this foo-foo and, and get into our reading. And I think all I really need to recap for everybody um, is that remember Micah was at Frozen Dead Guy Days. He saw Seth and had a plan about how he was going to deal with Seth, but then Eagle appeared, uh, and Eagle was on a collision course with Magda, and Eagle had the nail gun in his hand, and Eagle was going to attack Magda, and then Micah intervened, and Micah fought off Eagle, and Eagle slipped away. And so now Micah and Magda are at Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival in the middle of the festival, and that essentially brings us up current so here we go micah grabbed magda by the hand and pulled her toward the street and out of the alley she stared at the spots of blood on the sidewalk micah's senses were on fire adrenaline from the fight pumping through his veins every blast of the festival music every shout of glee from the parade goers was thunderous in his ears why did this happen magda said her left eye twitching, her face jittery and pained, voices and movement all around them never-ending, mirth and chaos amplified. Micah stopped his flight and held Magda by the shoulders, looked deep into her eyes. He didn't want to yell, but he was so amped up he couldn't help it. This is all ending, right here, right now. If Eagle is here, then Lila and Cyrus are here too. They're going to kill us, Mags, unless we find a way to deal with it right now. But, but Cyrus wouldn't do that, she said her voice high and trembling. He loves us. None of this makes sense. Micah gripped her shoulders harder enough to get her attention, felt his fingers sinking into flesh beneath her jacket. The plan to expose Seth was maybe no longer worth it. If you don't come with me, we're both going to die. She blinked, then sucked in a haggard and wheezing breath. Her head bobbed in something like approval, so he took her by the hand, leading her back out into the crowd. A police officer stood nearby, and Micah watched as a man talking to him pantomimed someone raising a gun. The cop was nodding and taking notes on a pad. Micah pivoted away from these two because he didn't have time to give a statement about his fight with Eagle. He let a hand touch his belly, and the slash Eagle had given him didn't feel too deep. The cut was maybe six inches wide, just above his belly button. Blood creased the wound like water under the surface of a dry river, but it wasn't pouring down his stomach. He headed for the beer tent, making sure he stayed blended and hidden inside the moving organism of the crowd, and also that he kept a secure grip on Magda's hand. Seth wasn't at the beer tent anymore. Shit. What's wrong? Magda said. Never mind. Maybe it doesn't matter. All that really matters right now is getting out of here. Micah turned his head and caught Lila standing a few hundred feet away, wandering through a cluster of people on the sidewalk. She was covered in blood streaking her hair and face and neck. To everyone else, she probably just looked like she was dressed up as Carrie from the Stephen King book, with everything except for the prom queen crown. But Micah knew better. Whose blood was that? And opposite Lila, a few hundred feet in the other direction, Micah saw Seth near the polar bear plunge in Chapetta Park. He was watching the line of people leaping into the air to dive into the freezing cold water. 
except now he didn't have his two buddies with him. Micah tugged on Magda's hand headed straight for Seth. Where are we going, she said. I have a plan. No matter what happens, you stay with me. Micah and Magda descended the hill toward the polar bear plunge. Halfway down the hill, the coke dealer turned and his mouth dropped open. His hands fell to his side as his beer bottle slipped from his grip and thunked onto the grass. Seth started up the hill and they met a few feet from each other. You motherfucker, Seth said. Look, I get that you're mad at me, but would you rather retaliate or get what you're owed? Seth raised a fist, pointing a finger in the air. Then Micah's words appeared to sink in. He lowered his angry finger. What are you talking about? You want your Coke? I know where it is. Seth's head jerked and he chewed on his lower lip for a moment. You still have my Coke? Micah shook his head. No, but I know where it is. I can show you the bitch who stole it from me. Magda tried to say something, but Micah held up a hand to silence her. This must have been horribly confusing to her, but he needed her to play along for a minute more. All right, Seth said, but if you're fucking with me, you're a dead man. And when this is over, you and me are still going to have to settle up. Follow me, Micah said. He headed back up the hill with Magda and Seth in tow. Lila was on one side of the street, now parallel with the cop. The parade was ending and everyone was marching up the road where the coffin races would take place. There, Micah said, pointing at Lila. She has your coke. Seth's eyes shot open. Lila? Lila has my coke? Micah was speechless as Seth seethed. Seth knew Lila? How could that be possible? Micah watched Seth stomp up the hill and cross the street on a collision course with Lila. You, he shouted, you took my shit? Lila noticed him and her blood-streaked face twisted in confusion. But then she looked past Seth and settled on Micah and Magda. She bared her teeth and lurched forward toward them. She bumped into a woman in a dragon costume, which sent the dragon tumbling into a knight in cardboard armor. Seth kept shouting at her. I told you to stay out of my business, you bald-headed freak. Did you think I was kidding about that? The cop across the street took notice and he put a hand on the walkie-talkie clip to his shoulder. A few people around stopped what they were doing and now seemed to realize there was something strange about the blood-soaked woman. She wasn't playing dress-up. This woman who was pure malice in a six-foot frame. Seth came within striking distance of Lila, jabbing his finger in her face. You never trusted me, you fucking bitch. But it was you who was the conniving one, wasn't it? She acted as if she hadn't even seen him brushing past as she stomped toward Micah and Magda. Seth stayed with her, shouting about his coke and what he was going to do to her if it was true that she'd robbed him. Lila raised her hand at Magda. You betrayed me, she said. Magda's face collapsed. No, no, never. I would never hurt you. You betrayed me by keeping information secret about Rodney, and now I want you gone. Did you think you could keep your lies under your veil forever? You are excommunicated from the church. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will no longer have the blessing of the true manna. Magda fell to her knees, her face screwed up in agony. She pleaded and begged, but Lila kept her demon eyes forward, her hand lifted with the finger pointed. With her other hand, Lila swept back her jacket and took a pistol from the back of her pants. Her shaking hand wobbled as she raised the gun. Seth saw this and removed his own pistol from inside his coat. He bellowed, but Micah only saw his mouth moving, no words coming out. 
The cop leaped into action, unclipping a revolver from his hip holster. He jabbed his other finger in the air toward Lila, barking at her to lower her gun. Two nearby groups of coffin racers fled, leaving that section of the street open. While classic rock still wailed from nearby tent speakers, the street now filled with shouts and screams. Three guns out, fingers on triggers. Micah wrapped his arms around Magda and dove into the street, landing on top of her, holding her down and covering her as she wailed and wept. Two gunshots went off, then a third. The music from the tent ceased. The street fell silent, so quiet that Micah could hear the plinking of the spent shell casings bouncing off the pavement. Micah looked, looked up to find Lila flat on her back with a bullet hole through her cheek. Blood leaked from it like a water bottle turned on its side, rushing and then slowing, rushing and then slowing. Sound returned as the gunshot echoes faded. Seth was on the ground, writhing in agony, his hands over his stomach. The police officer stood off to the side, his arms extended, smoke rising from the barrel of his pistol. Micah pushed himself off Magda, and she stayed curled in the fetal position on the ground. Her eyes shut tight, her lips moving soundlessly. Micah studied her mouth for a few seconds until he could tell what she was whispering. The Hail Mary. Epilogue Micah opened the front door of his condo in lower downtown Denver, the trendy neighborhood known as Lodo. Three weeks' worth of mail and packages would be waiting for him down in the manager's office, but that could wait until tomorrow. Magda stood outside of the hall, still and quiet, studying the frame around his front door. He turned back into the hall and waved her inside. She was a little better today, not so withdrawn, not stooped and shrunken into herself, but she wasn't the same as she used to be. She wasn't a person. She was a shell. However many months or years of therapy she would need to be whole again, Micah had no idea. He'd done his job and taken his sister away from Nederland, and now the cleanup part would have to begin. Magda bowed her head and walked inside the apartment. She dragged a shoe across the plush carpet and gazed up at the vaulted ceilings. Wow, Michael, this is nice. Micah, he said. You have to start calling me Micah. She nodded with an absent-minded blank stare making her eyes wet and unfocused. Since the EMTs had carried Lila out of the street in a body bag, Magda had wavered in and out of a dream state. Micah, she mused, still sounds weird. Would you like some coffee? She shrugged and wandered to his couch, then picked up a catalog for REI that had been sitting on his coffee table for three months and flipped through it. How do you afford this condo? He filled the coffee pot with water, then studied his sister for a moment before answering. The witness protection people bought it for me. They also got me a job here. That was part of the deal. It's hard to believe, you know, how you got here. Will you tell me about witness protection? Micah took a deep breath, readied himself to spill everything. I'd flunked out of school. I was looking for work, and a friend of mine... He paused, incapable of saying the friend's name. Micah wouldn't say his name. Not after Micah's actions had gotten him killed. He got me work in Luis Velasquez's organization. Her head tilted. Wait, I know that name. Is it the guy they called El Lobo? Micah nodded. At first it was going on ride-alongs, sparring with rival drug dealers. I had no idea who I was working for. Then it gradually got more serious and I was doing things I couldn't believe. I was drunk all the time, so I didn't pause to think about it. 
and it wasn't like reality, you know, like a movie or some dream, but then I got arrested and they flipped me. Didn't give me much choice. I was the government's main witness against Velasquez and a lot of his top people. How did it start? I mean, a Mexican cartel? Do you know how crazy that sounds? Micah shrugged. I do. But I just kept coming back and doing what they told me to do. I earned my way in by not asking too many questions. It wasn't like they gave me a Sinaloa cartel monogram sweatshirt, you know. There are no company Christmas parties. I rarely interacted with the important people. And your testimony put them in jail, right? Micah nodded. Yeah, a lot of them. There are still some of those people left, mostly back in Mexico. So then after the trial, you just become a whole different person? More or less. I had to do some time in the productive custody wing of a prison back east. But once all that was done, they told me I could move here, or Wyoming, or Idaho. I picked here because I knew you were nearby. She tugged on her lower lip, staring at the wall. Magda didn't have any more questions, apparently. Can I ask you a question about what happened, he said. She flipped pages in the catalog, then tilted her head in response. He took the coffee from the cabinet and opened the can. Why didn't you ever tell Lila about the documents I printed from her computer? Magda closed the magazine and sat back. She wandered to the curtains, looking through the window to the hazy outline of mountains to the west. I, I don't know. I didn't want to get you in trouble. He nodded and dumped the ground coffee into the filter and started the machine, then said, Hang on a sec. Micah walked into his bedroom, then lifted the carpet where it met the wall in the corner. He removed the two floorboards closest to the wall, grabbed the shoebox from the open space underneath, carried the shoebox back into the living room, and Magda turned from the window, her arms crossed in front of her stomach, like she was holding it in. I don't know how to... She said, drifting off at the end. Micah waved her over to the couch and opened the shoebox. I wasn't supposed to keep any of this stuff, but I couldn't get rid of it. He dug through the pile of flash drives, photographs, and letters until he found what he was looking for. A picture of Magda, Micah, their brother, and their parents, standing in front of the Alamo in San Antonio. Big grins on Micah's and Magda's teenage faces. He remembered that day. He'd gotten stoned in an alleyway between two random buildings a few minutes before this picture was taken. She leaned over and her lips curled up, but it wasn't exactly a smile. I looked so different back then. That long hair. Micah held the picture out to her. Take it. She accepted it, then held it gingerly in her lap. Mom and Dad miss you. A stab of pain hit Micah's chest. He usually tried not to think about them since he couldn't do anything about it. I know. I'm sorry about that, but you can't tell them about me. Do you understand? If they know then maybe they tell some of their friends and then it gets out and then it puts their lives in danger. I mean, I could have put you at risk by coming up to Netherlands to find you. I was in a tight spot and I did the selfish thing by involving you in my life again. Magda ran her thumb over the picture. But I'm glad you did. He hadn't expected this. Are you? Yes. I thought you were dead and now I know you're not. I get that I have to keep it a secret but I'm happy you're okay. He scooted closer on the couch and wrapped an arm around his sister. She leaned in, resting her head on his shoulder. After a few seconds, 
He felt the wetness of her tears soaking through his shirt, felt the warmth of her hair brushing against his neck. I love you, sis. I love you too, brother. He wanted to ask her what she would do next, but he figured she probably didn't know. She had a hard journey ahead of her. For now, he hoped holding her tight was good enough. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nailgun Messiah by Jim Heskett. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming along on this journey with me. And please, please, please don't forget there is still one more episode coming out, um, you know, probably, most likely, almost assuredly, tomorrow. And so stay tuned for that because there's still some surprises, still some fun stuff coming. And I know we're running a little long, so I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. But I just want to say thanks, guys. Now let the British dude play us out. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of Nailgun Messiah. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. Don't deprive them of this show. Go to www.jimheskit.com forward slash nailgunpodcast for information and we'll see you next week.